This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. So um, welcome to another podcast for the skill acquisition. And this time I'm talking to Dr. Ed Collin, if I pronounced your name correctly. Perfectly, in fact. <laughs> Very good. And, and um, Ed is going to be chatting to me about how we know that our practice is working. So from a skill acquisition perspective, the technical term would probably be the retention and transfer of our learning. But basically, how do we know that it's working? So um, if you could introduce yourself to us, Ed, that would be fabulous. Yeah, uh, Marianne, thank you very much. And uh, it's great to get on a call with you all. Um, we've, been, we've been orbiting in each other's um, spheres for, for a while, and it was great to kind of catch up offline there recently um, because, as I said, you, you, you've been a guest on a lot of podcasts that I've been listening to over the last while. Um, so, so, so thanks for uh, inviting me on here. Um, so, yeah, Ed Collin is my name. I am a lecturer in sports science and especially in skill acquisition in uh, Munster Technological University. There I lead a research uh, team in skill acquisition and I also am a coach. Uh, I work primarily at the, uh, in, in, in the skill acquisition space in my coaching so it affords me uh, great opportunities to work with um, many different coaches and athletes across a number of different sports which is lovely um, because oftentimes I'm asked to come in and with a specific with a specific um, remit around skill acquisition to kind of contribute to. Um, right now the vast majority of my work is in professional golf and thoroughly enjoyable because uh, a lot of the conventions in that sport um, are, are are wide open for challenge and I, and I, I like to I like to challenge where where I can um, so so yeah looking forward to this uh, a lot and um, because as you said earlier we're, we're kind of talking about whether, whether how we we can determine whether our practice is working or not and and oftentimes when I'm asked you know what's what's your title I would say I'm a practice coach because what I try to do with coaches, if it's a coach ed or a mentoring situation or with athletes directly where I'm working for them, is to create that type of an environment where they feel and they're able to look back at me and say, this is very similar to what I experience in competition mode. Um, and we, we, we work to... We work to kind of ex explore those type of um, feelings and behaviors by putting tasks and um, and yeah I, items in front of them that if they if they have if they if they're engaged in them properly, it really touches on some good uh, representative uh, feelings that that they are, can relate to um, their competition space. Right, that sounds like a really nice place to start, actually, with 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 maybe a little bit more of an introduction to our topic, which is that is like, how do we know that what we're doing in practice or the practice that we design as a coach, how do we know that that's working? And you've touched on a few things there already in, in, in um, talking about the, um, what, what the, the athletes were saying to you about this feels like this for me, it feels familiar that the, uh, that emotionally there's an affective, um, line to it as well that they recognize something about their performance environment in their practice um, 
did have I have I picked that up? Yeah, I, that, that, yes. that is a key. That's a key part because, of course, there's many things we cannot replicate. You know, so what we're trying to do is we're, you know, what I, what I, what I spend a lot of time doing is is um, I, I watch their behaviors in competition to then determine: Am I seeing similar type of behaviors in practice? Am I seeing similar type of responses and reactions to tasks that I will put in front of them that they've got to try and tackle? In, in that practice environment. Because of course, the behaviors themselves, they're never exactly the same. The tasks themselves are never exactly the same. But, but, you, but, but the, more I, the more time I spend with the player, the more I begin to, I just identify certain, certain elements of what they're doing that it says, okay, oh, th this, this is scratching at something that they don't like here, or this is this is this is actually or the other way this is scratching something that they really do like and they, oh i can see them getting into a place here where they're very comfortable based on what their behavior their non-verbal behavior is telling me and i think well actually i i i want to actually take them away from that i want to make them a little bit more uncomfortable because the the discussions we had from a previous competition or or, or competitive situation was it made them uncomfortable. So I need to scratch in a different way. I need to pose a different question to them or set a different problem for them to see if I can start seeing these behaviors emerge that tell me, okay, we're in, we're in a lovely space here now. That's something just maybe outside, just outside their reach, but also something that's maybe also outside their comfort zone behaviorally, you know? Um, and I think that's where Oftentimes, then the skill acquisition side comes in very strong because I'm looking for an adaptability in that situation from the athlete. I'm not looking for their perfect answer to this because I'm because as soon as I feel like they they're they're hitting on something here, I'll change the task again to see how adaptable they are in that in that environment. And I think that's where um, that's where there's a few things going to happen. That's where the relationship between me and the player will blossom and they'll very much be feeling, oh, I, this is this is hot. This is a really good space that I'm in here because of what you're asking me to do and stuff. Or it will go the other way, that the players will be thinking, oh, I don't like this. And if I don't like this in a way that I, that I, that put, puts me off, well, I, I don't like you. So I'm going to run away from you because you're making me feel a way that I don't like. And I'm... My answer to that is, well, hang on, that's kind of what you brought me in for is because there are things happening in your performance that you're not coping with under pressure in that environment. You're not adapting appropriately enough to the stimuli that's been thrown in front of you. And that's OK. Sometimes that means we, we don't work with each other and other times it means we go even deeper into the work with each other. And that's that's OK. So I'm. Um... There's definitely, it sounds like there's a, there's a lot of uh, interaction then. I'm thinking the word co-creation, which is something I, I think about quite a lot in, in the way in which you're putting that together. And as a coach, there is um, a need to be able to be authentic and experiment as well, isn't it? And so, I mean, I've done the same thing of times when I've gone, I'm not actually the person to work with you on this, yeah. which is fine. And I'm not going to take it personally, but this isn't going to work because I can't be authentic. Yeah. And and there's there's things there in fact uh, two two terms you've, t you've brought up that are really synonymous with what the, how I try to engage with the co-creation co I often find the longer I work with an athlete the less it is 
my in input and the mortar is theirs and the roles change and they evolve and they develop, but they definitely change. The other side is that authentic self. Um, I, I, you know, I reflect on all of my sessions and the one thing I reflect on is was I authentic to what I, to who I am, to what I want to do? Because I think when I look back over my coaching career, there were, there were probably a lot of times in my early stages of my coaching career where Marianne, I wasn't my authentic self. <laughs> I was trying to be somebody else or, or I was trying to, I was, I, it was, I was copying other things or I was doing, I was acting at coaching. I thought this is what coaching needed to be. So that's what I was doing. And it wasn't, really reflecting my authentic self. The other side of that, the third point that you made there that I that really struck a chord with me is I do fight hard when I feel it's not working with an athlete. I fight hard to maintain the link. I don't I don't give up easy. <laughs> and I think you were saying the same, you know, sometimes it it's not working, but we do try to make it there. So I will I will go a long way towards the athlete because again ultimately it their job is not, uh, the, you know, they're 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 the client. They're the CEO of this company essentially, and they've asked me. And so my job is to be. If I'm asking them to be adaptable, I see myself it, of utter importance that I'm adaptable too. So I will adapt to try and get to a place where they are, where we can have that, you know, connection. But then, as you said, that's where the authentic self comes back in. If I feel I can't get there. Or, or if there's, if if there's, there, you know, their their behavior or even their communication is saying, look, I'm going to keep fighting you on this because you know it's just making me too uncomfortable or whatever. Then great, you know, with the best will in the world, I said, well, look, great. There's probably there's a better coach out there for you than me, but just not on this occasion, you know. Yeah, thank you. I've, um, it's really interesting for you talking about that. You know, times in the past where you you feel that you've um, practiced in a way that didn't feel authentic and for me actually a lot of that it was delivering coach qualifications and then and that's why I stopped because <laughs> I just went I can't deliver it like this because it doesn't feel okay and it doesn't match you know my experiences and both in practical coaching and, and research which is it which is a tricky space to be in it is an interesting one to navigate it's an interesting point as well because um, if if you were to ask me what are the what's the most common work I do with coaches, and what uh, it is helping them to coach in a way that challenges how they were taught to coach, because the coach education content in a lot of for national for a lot of national governing bodies doesn't really add up to what happens in the real world of coaching. So what I find myself doing is. So talk to me about what you did in your course and the content. Okay, so now you you tell me how has it felt three years, four years, five years on from doing that? What doesn't add? Okay, so why doesn't add up? What does that mean? What is it? What are you really experiencing? And and using their using their experience and the content that they were given as the platform for us to go for to go forward, because oftentimes, as you said, um, and so and don't get me wrong, coach education is coming on leaps and bounds. But for any coach that was involved, it was, was going through their coach education badges back in the late 90s and, and before that and through the early noughties, some of the content was absolutely ludicrous stuff. Um, and some really big important sections was summed up in like one slide and you're like, 
wow, how did they manage to do that? And, you know, so I think that's been a big part of my work with coaches over the last number of years is helping them, uh, helping them feel comfortable challenging the content that they were, that was delivered to them in coach education. That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, it's really nice that, that you can use that then as a way of moving forward. And like I say, I know coach education is changing dramatically, but um, I certainly, for, from my perspective and, and talking about skill acquisition, the two things that used to end up getting either missed completely or put at the very end of a course when everyone was, was like completely saturated were skill, how we become skillful and motivation. And I just thought if you binned everything else and just did those two things, I'd be really happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be lots more useful. <laughs> it's so true. And it's, the analogy I use for that is, is it's, it reflects in their coaching. They do all this work for the coach and then they finish with the game at the end. You're like, oh, no, hang on. Maybe start, start with the game and then the other things may not, you know, but they go through this checklist first and then finish the game. And oftentimes, sometimes, oh, we don't have time for a game tonight, so we pick it up the next time. And you're like, whoa, that's not that's not a, a, a model that I would be favourable of. No. So actually, so that, again, beautiful segue into, into pulling this back a little bit and thinking, okay, so what, what can we do practically as a coach if we want to set up a session? And I guess the first thing to start with is is making making that decision about what you're going to do and why. And that might be, um, watching the athlete, talking to them, watching the games. I mean, there's. Um, I, I'm interested as well in your. Um, uh, when when you think that can become something that's more co-created, because I I think even with my son when he was three and kids I work with when they're really little, I still co-create and I still try and end up with them running the session that I join in at the end. So it's not just something for elite athletes. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of that. Um, uh, yes, I coach, but I'm also a dad. So I jump in as a volunteer parent coach where, where I coach. And when I get my group, you know, there's low, way more kids than there are parents helping out. So when I get my group for, for, for that hour, once a week or two hours, you know, it's, my, it's questions. I start with, what, what would you like to do? Hey, guys, you know, I'm, I'm Ed and he's my boy and I'm his dad. And so what would you like to do? And of course, what do they say? Oh, I want to play a game. Great. Well, let's get straight into a game. And, and from there, because I mightn't have been there in three or four weeks or whenever, you know what I mean? We go straight into a game. We say, or they may something say something. Let's, we want to do penalties. Okay. At least I'm, what's wrong with us starting with penalties, penalties, especially if that's what they were wanting and it gets that excitement and all that kind of thing. So I'm all for that, that co-creation, even at that young, young age. And um, as, as the older level, that practice, what does my practice look like? Again, it, it, it's hugely, um, it's hugely dependent on what's gone before. Um, my practice is heavily informed by, you know, is it a performance that happened recently? Okay, let's let's go after things that that occurred in the game. Let's start developing scenarios, preparing situations that they that we want them to re-engage with. Now, not the same situation over and over again, but multiples of that situation, and let's see how they cope with the variability of that situation because it can it can unfold in so many different ways. I think the other aspect of of that again, the you know, if you ask 
you know, what's your lesson plan look like? <laughs> I, I, I'm not I'm not a great lesson plan person any longer. Um, I would have been. I was very militaristic in those first kind of 10 years of my coaching life. It went to military precision, my coaching. You know, the sessions were on time and they were. But I hardly looked up from my from my from my notepad because I was so stuck on getting things done and going through my checklist for the session. Nowadays, I uh, nowadays I work much more off a prioritization of content. So for that, I will have we, we will have discussed if it's a team environment, we'll have discussed where we felt we 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 were either strong in or where we were caught out in in a performance or and this could be with an individual as well. And then from that, we, we you know, as the conversation ebbs and flows, we will find ourselves coming back to one, two, three kind of topics. And then we, we will have straight away you have the bones of your session for me there and you say okay well these are our few things that we we these are big blocks of course there are other things that we can add in but these are our big blocks for tonight's session now the next part is what gets priority because i want to make sure that if i prioritize this well then by doing that if i choose the right big block first it might actually limit or if not eradicate the other blocks needing to to get their attention on them because it may actually evolve into something much more wholesome and holistic that will represent the game. So I, I will always spend that little bit of time prioritizing, okay, we've got three things we want to work on tonight, but which is the biggest block that might actually interact and engage with the other blocks too? Oh, it's this one. Great. So let's start with this one and let that then have its time and take its course let us challenge it in, in a number of different ways and so on and so forth. All the time trying to be strong with how it represents the game and the and also is is authentic to the conversation that had it come up in the conversation. You know, I don't want us to I, I want a situation where the players or the athlete or whatever is has, has come up with the reason why this was something that they felt was important. I want them then when we go to it in the training paddock for them to say, oh, yeah, this is it. This is that scenario. I don't want them to go, this isn't quite it. <laughs> when do we get into what we spoke about? I'd like to start them where they where they feel because that's where their attention will be very strongly um, there. But also they'll be hugely motivated for that then. If they feel that connection has been made from the conversation that they were engaged in as co-creators of the session and then they get to start living it in that practice environment, their motivation goes through the roof, which enables me as the coach to take a further step back to then be able to observe their behaviors even more. You know, I become less worried about the outcome and I become more engaged in how are they engaging in the task? I love that. Thank you. Uh, um, and I'm thinking you've just beautifully described that intention, attention, calibration type thing in, in that last bit that, you know, that, uh, if it's something that they've they've seen or they've discussed or you've picked up, then that intentionality is there from them, and then you're going to design a practice. It might be it might be nice to to think of a couple of examples of it, but to design a practice then that helps um, pull in that pixelation of that area of what they're paying attention to and what they're doing, um, and then and, and and I guess one of the things that I'm thinking that that some coaches might um, find that is where they maybe need to challenge themselves or the people they work with is they're not expecting you to give them the answer 
that how is it okay for them to then explore and make mistakes and do that recalibration without them feeling that your job as the coach, I've come to you because you should give me the answer. You're setting me up. You know the answer and you're just not telling me or um, you're letting me struggle. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, beautiful. Because there's two points there that, 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 I could, uh, that, I, that remind me of what I, what I see. The first thing is those, those conversations and those kind of co-creation moments, they allow the, the athletes themselves, and I'm speaking now more in a team situation, let's say, team sport, let's say, where you may have different levels of, of ability. Those action capabilities are not the same across all players. So you may have, it may be your first 15 or your first 11 that you're with, but they're not all at the same standard even within that team. You might have some players in that team who are representative level, who are international level, but they're still with their club where they are, you know, one of the one of the better players in their position. So what those conversations enable me to do also is for them to identify, oh, so we're going to go into this task and for their, that for that openness for the players to be like, well, this is an particular area that I struggle heavily with or well this is a particular area that I'm actually quite strong with I, I and then it enables me and them for 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 all, to almost give some roles out let's say you know who's going to run this part of the game so well if this is a particular strength of yours that's okay let uh, let, uh, let you know you take this part on if this is a particular weakness of yours or you feel I'm not as comfortable in this one but I know I need to get in here great well, what will get, let's, again, that intention, attention, we're going to give you some very specific things that we want you to attend to. If they, if they pop up, attend to them. If they don't pop up in this scenario, let them go. We don't know when they are, which then takes us to that point of the no answer. I, I will often, you know, back again, back in the day, um, I would have been very much telling them exactly what they can expect to happen when they go into this scenario or situation, which was, of course is total nonsense because then what it actually did, it had a, it had a double knock-on effect. Number one, they were going in thinking, we've got a very particular model that we've got to achieve because Ed has told us what he's expecting to see. But also then me on the sideline, I'm thinking, well, I've given them the model. I want to see, are they going to hit the model? And are they going to... So then I'm watching with a very different lens. I'm watching with the lens of, is it fitting what I've told them I want it to look like? Which is a terrible place for a coach to be in, especially for where I am now as a coach, because the, 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 that scenario could play out in a hundred, a hundred thousand different ways of a particular day with small little different minutiae that could actually have an impact on the outcome at, at, at any point in time. So I'm, I... Again, over a period of time, players with me, even though the individual players that, let's say, with the golfers, they they know I have no answers, and you know, so the the, the beauty of it is when we have a chat about something that they really feel like, oh, this is what I found in that situation. Because they're also coming in saying, well, Ed, you were very clear, like you didn't know how this was going to go, so here I am going to tell you this is how it went. But you know what? We did it five different times and we got five different outcomes because that, that's just the, that, and, that's, and that might even be something where we're working on a particular type of shot in golf. Five different outcomes from five different attempts. And for them to, to, to really relish the variability of the task and then also to engage in the adaptability of them. 
they may all have landed within a very close proximity to the pin, but they probably got there from five different type of ways. A run out, a you know, check shot right very close to the pin and stopped, and, but all, all kind of landed within a range where they said, yeah, I'm happy with that as a, as a, as a next shot put to, to get the ball in the hole. Um, and I think it is to, to remove that sense of I'm working towards something and I'll know when it is absolutely perfect. And when it's perfect, I can wash my hands of it now. It'll be there when we need it on Saturday. And it's like, whoa, I, I, I'd love to see that. I, you know, if, if it was that straightforward, coaching would be very boring for me. Um, even though previously I would have thought that's what coaching was about. But of course it's, it's not. And that's not what sport is about for me either. No, and and it's but it is very much. I mean, it, that was the model that I was taught for in my coach education, and even with children. And, and it would be quite nice actually, just to I think have a little segue into the kids and knowing that they're learning the idea that a small child needs to be error corrected towards what a technical template of an elite adult is now seems crazy, and yet that is actually what I was encouraged to do as a rookie coach. 30 odd years ago rather than look at this child and go and think what if what are, what problems are they trying to solve what are they doing what do I see what what are they telling me and how can we build this you know incredible skillfulness that they've got rather than how can I correct it to something that it could never be yeah yeah and that's that's a very good point I, I was you know, parenting since I've been, I have a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old. And um, there are days I'm thinking, oh, why, like I'm 47 now. I was like, why did we wait so long to have kids? They're just, they're, it's, it's brilliant. It's challenging. And there's like moments of, oh, my word, who said this was a good idea? But also, it's, it is, it's, it's hugely rewarding. But then there's also times I'm thinking, thanks be to whomever that we did not, because I think if I had, if I had kids when I was coaching in those first 10 years of my coaching career, like I'm next year, I'm coaching 30 years. I think I would have absolutely destroyed them and I, they would have ended up hating sport and hating me coaching them and having me nothing to do with me around their, their sport and physical activity and exercise. And so there's the, there's, there's that flip flip of the coin to be thinking, actually, it, it's a lucky stroke that we decided to to uh, travel and do all those other things <laughs> first. Um, you, you might have been like me, though, because I had my son very early, but I paid more attention to him than I did my coach education. Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah, well, to learn from him. He became my lab rat, and actually him and, and my dog and my horses I just found that when I got curious about them, I learned so much and none of it matched what I was being taught. I, and, and maybe I, I, I just, I, I have pretty frightening recollections of the kind of coach I was. I was very particular. I was very thinking there was a perfect uh, way to do things and stuff. So, so I'm not too sure I would have figured that out. However, since having kids, you are right. The To see even the simple things, you know, things that I would have since learned about motor control and motor learning and motor development to see the things that you know what are the skills that they're born with what are those reflexive skills that we're born with those innate skills that actually 
have have developed through evolution that capacity to 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 grasp and hold your body weight up when you're born the capacity that suck reflex to 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 be able to feed and to swallow but also to to maybe to to survive in water and things and the walk reflex exactly these are all things that 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 had me think wow this is this is inc incredible but it's also make me making me realize like you said at my own little lab rat initially was this uh, this real sense of hang on there's so much that I don't need to do here. In fact, your job is just just be 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 there as a safety net because again, safety and all that, especially in some sports, is 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 of uber importance. And then, of course, with kids, of uber importance. But also then to make me realize there is also a huge amount of innate um, reflexes in there that keep them safe. But it's just to know, you know, when 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 to hold on, but also went to let go um, and I think that's I think Ali Logan has a great term about you know handcuffs or handrails you know and but I I use that even from a from a parenting perspective um, but I do think I think that's there's a huge amount that I think I learned from being a parent but I think it was I was fortunate that it came at a time in my life when I was probably ready to learn um, I, I have to admit I think if it came earlier I'm not too sure I would have been <laughs> <laughs> all that open to learning and it was uh, you know let me show you how to do this um, type of approach I think oh lovely um, you've touched on some things that I would love to pick up and explore but I think we might have to do another podcast on that because I think I agree with you there is there are so many things like you say that are innate or that there is a driven curiosity I don't know if you're familiar with Alison Gopnik and she does stuff mm -hmm. with just learning my favourite um, thing that she she talks about, you know, the fact that children are just little experimenters, and she said their world is like living, it's like being in um, Paris for the first time, being in love for the first time, and having had three double espressos. <laughs> but if we get out of the way, like you say, they are just engaged, and they are experimenting, and they are doing that anyway. And we come along and fix that we we're necessarily handcuffing them but you know and like say recognize that there is actually so much going on there that if we can nurture it and provide support when they need that um it's absolutely amazing and the whole point of childhood is exploring and then adulthood is about how we exploit what we learn but if we stay and exploit we stop learning as an adult yes yes and I think that's and that's in a key point, like because I was already coaching and I was also coming from a very different domain as well when I went to do my degree. And um, so I was driven towards the degree out of curiosity for reading papers that completely turned my coaching world upside down. And the idea of skill acquisition papers with Bruce Abernethy and Damien Farrow that I was thinking, what? These people are speaking a different language altogether. But I'm interested. I'd like to know more, and that's what drove me to do to do my degree all those years ago. But as a result of that, it was it it also put me in a place of enjoying what research can actually offer us, you know. But also to be critical of research. I learned how to critically analyze papers during my degree, to not just take it at face value. To to dig into what they've said, to to dig into their methodology, the procedure, their results, and and their discussion points, and to see what are the conclusions that they're making. Are they a bit biased or not? And how you know what I mean? But one of the things that from that time, I remember when they were talking again, we, we we would have had you know things around child development and stuff in our in our course, 
And one of the, the topics that was mentioned one day was there was a lovely study done a number of years even before then where people were asked to um, mimic movements of a child and groups were brought in, groups of five and six adults were brought into a room and here's your child and all you got to do is copy them. See how long you can do exactly what they do. But of course the room was filled with kind of toys and different things and the adults and like would would last 15, 20, 30 minutes, but no one was reaching an hour where they would just be flattened because I can't stand up and sit down and roll over that many times. Are you joke me? This is ridiculous. I can't read, you know. They, they, the kids were just, as you said, triple espresso, espresso. And you wonder, that's why they sleep for 16 hours uh, on the trot when, they go to, when they're small. Because when they're awake, they're on. There's only one gear when they're awake at that age and it is, well, I've got to fit as many of these things, as many as much as I can into this next few hours before I'm put down to sleep again. And, you know, hold on tight because this is this is a roller coaster. And I often remember that that study, which was, you know, exactly that. They're explorers and they, they it's our job to stay out of their way when they're exploring in a safe way. And then be a parent and be responsible when they're exploring in a way that could cause them serious harm, you know? Uh, I, 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 I'm just thinking, actually, that I love the, um, you picked back up on the research thing, because I think maybe, and and it might not, so don't, you don't have to go with me on this, but um, as a coach, you know, how do we know that what we're doing is working? And, and uh, for me, I think part of that is for us to relearn how to be little experimenters as coaches you know, how do we how do we analyze what's going on, set up a practice that's kind of experiment and then and then monitor and understand how is it actually working? I, I, I loved Sean Meisger saying that when he did his S&C stuff in the gym, he challenged himself when he started thinking like this because he realized that there was no comparison between what he saw in the gym and what he saw on the field. And he did more work in the gym and it still looked exactly the same on the field. They weren't doing what he did in the gym. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No, no, I like that. Because I think at the end of the day, and again, it's it's a continuum here. You know, there's um, the the work I do as a volunteer parent coach. Is it is it imperative that that transfers to the, a match they have in the under nines on Saturday <laughs> or the under eights? Or that's it, that's less of an imperative, you know. However, if I'm if I'm working for an athlete, for a team, is is it more imperative then? Absolutely. Otherwise, I, I, I shouldn't be there. I'm there for a reason, for something that we're working on that will transfer. Now, I also have to sell them the idea that things take time. You know, the difference, the, 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 the learning effect and, and compared to the performance effect, they're two very different things how it might be all lovely and soft and cuddly in practice, that doesn't mean I, I've got it, you know? I've, there, there, there does need to be that expect, uh, understanding and acceptance that the transfer process, especially when it is, you know, a livelihood at stake, people's earning potential and so on and so forth, that's, that's a, that, that requires a, an understanding that this is not a linear process. This is not a case of, well, I've done this number of reps and sets of this task. And when I go out on the golf course or onto the pitch the next day, it will be there for me and it'll work just fine. If that's, 
if that's what you're selling as a coach with an athlete, you're setting them up for massive frustration and real self-doubt because they'd be thinking, well, it must be me because I had it in practice where we created this really robust environment in practice. And I was really good in that safe space, a very stable space. And I've come in here and surely it's the same thing. And if they think it's the same thing and of course it doesn't work and doesn't transfer, well, then they're in for a real great fall and a real, and, and how, and oftentimes what I think, what I fear is, how they'll reflect on the work will actually take them further away from actually deeper exploration. It will actually send them in a path of more order and control and structure, which more often than not is, is, is the death knell of creativity. Yeah, that's, I, I, um, I certainly resonate with some of those things and also sending off to somebody else and then someone else and then someone else if they're seeking something that they think is an answer um i'm uh, uh i'm also thinking we could go down a rabbit hole now about pressure testing for stuff and sort of other aspects that we bring in i'm just mindful of time and and maybe just uh wrapping up a little bit on um maybe some sort of key key themes around how um how we um, structure our practice to um, hopefully ensure that there is as much retention and transferability as possible, and then how we know, what, what do we monitor, what are we looking for, what are the things that we might pay attention to and be curious about as a coach that will let us know the effectiveness over time, because obviously it's nested within timeframes. People do get worse sometimes before they get better or they grow or they get injuries. So we, we need to recognize that it is complex and nonlinear. But what are the type of things that we would help a coach to start exploring maybe a little bit more working like this and, and be confident that their exploration is not taking them into a place that um, they don't want to go, that it's working for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that. That's a big question, <laughs> um, but but I know. Uh, I'm but sorry. I think, yeah. No, no, no. It, it's 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 a it's a good one. Um, I think what we need to do in a situation like that is, as you were saying, you know, how how do we know if it's working? Okay. I think we know it's working when we have their engagement. Okay. I think we also know it's working when when we feel, even just from a a a volume perspective. If I, if I go to a training session and, and I'm there, let's say, as a mentor and I'm working with a coach or, and I know this because of, my, of the people who, who, who mentor me and will come and watch my session, oftentimes what they'll speak to me about and which I find myself speaking to other coaches about is the volume in the session. It's, it's all you, Ed, or it's, uh, it's all the coach, you know, that, that if, if, you're, if you're the dominant voice in training, then then that means they're not they're not owning it in the same way because you know what they're waiting for instruction then and we don't want them to be hanging on instruction to engage in the task we want the task to be such a an appropriate representative task that that captures their attention more than anything else more than your guide more than your instruction your demonstration your guidance no no it's the task and i've often found that when the task is really pointed to something that you're trying to figure out, the volume on the pitch goes up and the volume on the sideline goes down because they very 
much are engaging with the task. They're not engaging with you because they're so focused on figuring out this problem that you've set them. So I think that's that's something that coaches can can even, that straight away you can touch you you can tune into. Are you finding yourself speaking a lot during a task? If you are, then it's likely you are still your fingerprints are still too heavily on the task and your hand is still too heavily on the joystick. You know, you're trying to control the game too much from the sideline. And it's, yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, would you say the same about feedback if they're having to rely on the coach? If as a coach, you you think that they can't analyze their own performance or, or recognize what is successful, that as well as instructors, that would be another one of those um, cues. Absolutely, because I think again, and there's there's loads of research on feedback out there. Like it's it's one of those big it's, it's a big block within within coaching, within sport, within skill acquisition, with you know psychology. It's it's huge. Motivation monster, feedback monster. You know these are these are the big blocks of of our domain, and we often we we the, a lot of the evidence says that self-directed feedback you know when they come looking for it as opposed to when they're it's given to them without request there's a big difference with how that lands with them it's that look that stuff has even impacted my work as a lecturer i'll tell students okay your results are in here your results and anyone who'd like feedback well the my office is open at this time or just drop me an email but it's never i have stopped and again i used to feedback for everyone so they had to come in at 10 o'clock, at 10.15, at 10.30, at 10.45. Everyone had to get feedback. Did it really have that much of an impact on their results because they were having to? Not really when I tracked it, as opposed to when I actually offered it and engaged with those who looked for it. Did it have an impact on the results over time then? Significantly so, because they're, come, they're interested in it. Now, it's up to me also to make sure that I sell the idea of feedback as something that is, again, somewhat co-creating. I'm going to give you my observations, but again, they're not, it's, they're, these, are not an, a, a, these are not a finite solution to what I've seen. It's just my observation. And again, I, I couch that uh, very much so with, with coaching. It's a little different in in in, in a lecturing space because it's an, you know you're looking at answers on a, on a, on an essay and so on and so forth. But within the coaching space, when I go in with my feedback, it is very much you know you know. And again, it's a, if it's looked for, I say, look, these are my observations. I'm not sure, but have you considered why it's not working here? Or you seem to get jammed over here a bit. And when the play runs out, it seems to fall down here. Any reason why? Or you know what I mean? I'll still engage my feedback in a way that will interrogate the situation as opposed to putting my feedback to the fore of my, of my delivery, let's say. And I think that's that's a key part. So I think to go back to the question of what are the, the kind of blocks that we need to look at to give somebody, you know, somebody listening in, something to take away with even, to, you know, the volume. See what your engage see what your engagement is in, in, in during the during the running of a task. Also, then look at their behavior in the task. You know, if you've gotten the situation where you feel actually I am stepping back a bit more to enable me to really observe. Well, then what are you observing? And the two big things that I want people that I, I, I focus on myself, but I also speak to coaches about is observe their behavior. How then are they engaged in the task? So you're not just focusing then on the volume, who's leading it, who's calling the shots, but what's their behavior like? 
Is their behavior really in, and we, we can tell when someone is very much locked into something or not. But then the other thing is something which is a little trickier to do. I'll often ask coaches, could you quantify how many decisions they're actually having to make in this task? And oftentimes they're like, whoa, how do I do that? Well, I, I don't know. You know, you tell me, this is your sport. How many decisions are you, have you, have you put enough work into this task that this is a really rich task that they're really having to figure out? And it could be, there's multiple decisions in, at every, at every juncture of the, of how this task um, plays itself out. Or is the task itself almost linear? If I do A, B happens, task over. Really, does it happen that simply in your sport? If it does, well, then job done. But if it's in a dynamic open field sport, even court sport, you know, it's not that simple. So I would be looking to ask them, well, if, if you're looking at their, their behavior is great, but also can you really, can you identify from their engagement in it how many decisions that, are, that they have to make? What are the what are they what are the questions that the task is posing them? I really I really like that. I haven't um, I haven't really thought about it quite that clearly. I love I, um, obviously I think about that the messiness, but to pay attention to the number of decisions and the decisions that they're making rather than the decisions that you're making as a coach. Yeah. But also, and, the, and that's, a, that's a lovely way of putting it, because it's the decisions they're making, not the decisions you were hoping they would make, because that's not, but what are the decisions that they actually made? And, 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 I, and I say to coaches, are you allowing yourself to be impressed by the players? Are you allowing yourself to be surprised by something that, you know, and, to, and, for, and for you to go in at the end, it's like, wow, I did not see that. That is just a brilliant solution to that task, you know? And oftentimes as coaches, I don't, I don't know, do we give ourselves that, that breadth or, of, of space to allow ourselves to just be authentic and be impressed with them, you know? Because I think oftentimes we're, we're, we're told the convention of coaching is that we need to have all the answers. We need to, you know, not be surprised by anything because that will show them that maybe I, I wasn't expecting that. I want to be very open with them. I don't know how this is going to go. So then I'm really, I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, oh, yes, that I did not see that coming. And you, you might have seen from the, the work I did recently with the UK Coaching Conference, my, I'm a sports fan. Before, before, like when I was a child, I... I love sports, so I love the fact that now I'm engaged in a job or in a profession or in a pastime that allows me to actually observe some of these things being figured out in front of my very eyes, you know, and, and to see things failing. I, 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 I'm drawn towards failure as just as much as things working, you know. I love when it falls apart, and that's where then I have to be strong with my own behaviors and biases, to work on, don't go in too soon. If it's not working, hold fire, hold back, you know? And that's where then, going back to my, my, my work that I'm trying to do for myself, that's where then I get, I, I allow myself to look more at their behaviors, to really examine what, how many decisions are happening here. Because if, if I'm looking at their behavior and I'm thinking, oh no, their behavior says they're still engaged. And, oh, look at that situation there, that's a decision. And, oh, that's another one. Ooh, well, that's another one. Okay, actually, stay out of it, Ed. <laughs> Don't rush in. It is, it's not working right now, but you know what? They're in it. The last thing I want to do 
is when something has been co-created or created by them solely, is to interrupt that creation side of the, the, the creativity side of the co-creation, you know? Um, and that's a, and I, I think that that's a privilege. That's a real <laughs> privilege. I, oh, I, I feel the same way, definitely. And I, I, I love being, um, I, I love observing and learning and being blown away by the amazing things that I see. And you, and you do have to create a space for that really. Um, the, I, I, one of the things that, um, I, I often use and anyone who's worked with me in coach ed, I, I talk about not rescuing people from learning. <laughs> yeah. Too, too yeah, often. I, I, yeah. I, I, I love that. I love that. Look, uh, I'm uh, like that, that privilege I said earlier, I, I'm working with a few, a few golfers at the moment and it is a genuine privilege because of the journey that they've allowed me to join in on. And it is that real sense of watching, watching them kind of, you know, coming, you know, tr in one sense, trusting that, hey, gee, this, this is a guy who's telling me he doesn't have the answers and yet I'm still engaging, <laughs> engaging with him, you know, because the conventions of the sport in golf is oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes it is that the guy, the coach has all the answers, you know, and to see then what, what that affords them is this kind of, oh, well, I'm I'm happy to take the lead here because you know what, Ed, I'm the guy out here hitting all the golf shots. You, you're, you're not, you know. And there's some incredible stories that come back from that experience, you know, when they are when when again you didn't rescue them and they actually figured it out for themselves when they when they themselves were calm under pressure when they themselves are relating some of what they experience on the course back to practice environments that with that, that they've done, you know, and you're not having to connect those dots for them. That's a lovely space. But again, and I'll say this to anyone listening, that doesn't happen every single day and it's okay. You know, I, I, I it's important. Like I, when I coach, when I'm working in coach with coaching, it's not always this amazing, wonderful thing. <laughs> it, it gets, it's wrong days. It's days when I come back and I'm like, that was an absolute disaster of a session. We didn't get done what we thought we would, you know, that's okay. If we're, if we're empathetic with ourselves and we're, we, we really feel and believe we're actually, this is a journey. Well, then the reflection is going to lead to something far better. So that's where then I, you know, someone asked me recently, you know, what, what regrets do you have? And I was like, jeepers, regrets. I, I'd like to think I've engaged in all the things I've messed up in, in a way for, to turn them around a little bit, because <laughs> I've made some right doozies. I can tell you, <laughs> there, you know, there are, yeah, there are some personal things that I'd be thinking, oh my God, when I think back, that was, that was just bad decision-making, Ed. And that was, oh, but it's as a result of that, that has impacted how I coach now. If I was looking back and I felt I could still make that same mistake again, then I would be in a pretty dark place, I think. Uh, yes, I, I, there's so much in there, Ed, and I, I, I'm thinking actually what's, what's really nice is, is that that recognition that as a coach we're learning as well. So we have to be able to explore as a coach. We need to be able to make mistakes. Obviously not ones that are going to seriously injure anybody or have massive, you know. So fight, I guess um, part of maybe wrapping up is looking at where we find the space to explore and be creative and maybe let go of 
some of the handcuffs we might have inherited and find some handrails to go and explore, which is which is what we're trying to do with this. And those handrails would be around having um, those conversations, some co-creation, making small changes to start with, maybe that allow you to um, ex be curious. Um, yeah, just allow you to be curious as as a as a coach and you know, and, and actually enjoy the fact that you can let go of not having everybody's answer for them. And that's okay. And actually, I think many coaches I work with, when they get to that space, it's a huge relief. And then suddenly that it allows them to turn a corner in their coaching <laughs> that they don't want to go back there again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, the question you asked the question, how do we create that space? And for, for that to emerge for a coach and, uh, and also for an athlete. And I do think, I think we, 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 you know, there's a few things at play here. We, it goes back to a conversation we had earlier. It goes about being authentic. I think we need to have way more honest conversations with athletes. And I think we need to, we need to strip away the, the idea that coaches wear capes, you know, and that they have this superhero. They've got answers to everything and they're going to fly in, you know, Wonder Woman, Superman, flying in at the, at the moment to save the day. That's just fundamentally has been a poor narrative around coaching for years. And, and I think what we need to try and do is, is create a much more cooperative space and be thinking, well, you, you, you do know that I'm also just a human being like you. <laughs> and you do know that I, you know, and in, in a lot of cases, I was a, an athlete like you once and you do know that I made loads of mistakes myself then and just because I now have I, I have coach on the on my tracks it doesn't mean now I, I can't make any more mistakes and I think there needs to be far more conversations about that authenticity um, and that appreciation of well hang on a second uh, you know so so for example uh, I'll tell you a, per a personal story when I when I moved, started engaging in, in golf a number of years ago, one of the things that I had done, because I was around golf all my life with my family and stuff, let's say, you know, but I'd never worked in the space. I'd never coached in the space. And all my work in skill acquisition had been in discrete skill specialist kind of roles and, and the like. And But one of the things that I did differently with golf was I was very interested in engaging with, with, with people, players, in a long-term capacity. So from very early on, I was actually interested in saying to someone, look, I'm, I, you know, we, we'll do a couple of sessions, but after a couple of sessions, I'd like us to commit to each other, you know? And this isn't a case of, well, I'm, I'm going to see how it goes. Oh, I go and play a tournament. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't play well there. Yeah, thanks, Ed, and I never hear, you know what I mean? I'm actually far more interested in, in, in a relationship where we can say, well, Let's go on a journey together. Let's, let's, let, 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 you know, give me a little bit of license where, you know what, I can also relax in my role because, you know what, I'm working really hard here to help you relax in your role as the player. But if, if I'm trying to get you to be comfortable being uncomfortable, if I'm trying to get you to be able to engage in chaos in a much more uh, in, in, in interactive way, but, but then you expect me to be perfect all the time and to fit a lovely, I think... I, I, there's 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 a mismatch there so so that's been something that's been really nice uh, i have a few situations like that with people i work for uh, in the golf space where it, it is it's a it's a long-term it's a long-term thing and we're not looking at the exit door you know we're not looking over our shoulder we're not 
were really just engaging with each other in a really in a collaborative way because it affords so much more space to be explored you know we're not afraid to go into a dark room now because it's thinking well we go in together and you know what we, we we're going to have time in that dark room to allow our eyes adjust whereas if you're going into a dark room and you have to you got to be ready quickly it, it's forget it your eyes won't have adjusted in enough time for you to actually get anything of anything productive done and you'll be already out of the room. You'll be thinking, well, what happened there? I, I went in there. We came, went in there together, but I, I didn't have time to adjust my eyes. And I'm back outside already. Oh, and who's this person passing me? Oh, here's another person now going into that dark room. Like, oh, oh, so I'm, I'm, not, in, I'm, not, in, I'm not hired anymore. We need to move away from that model of, you know, well, it's got to work now, you know. Um, and I think there's, and the thing is, there's loads of examples of this happening, even at the elite level of sport where coaches are be given time to just engage even at the highest level now people were calling for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's jaw ahead very quickly in Manchester United you know people were calling for uh, the same with with Jose Mourinho in Manchester United you know one went the other was given a bit more time the same is happening you know it's same is happening now in Liverpool Klopp is having a, a, a is having a tough season there's loads of reasons why that could be the case Get rid of them. You're like, whoa, hang on a second. You know, we, you know, the, the, and then, then you look at Chelsea and Chelsea has 10 managers in 10 years. And you're thinking, well, is that working either? You know, we, we need to be, I think we need to change the kind of potential for different types of relationships to be, to evolve in coaching. That's what I mean. I don't think there's any one right way, but I think we need to be open to the possibility of that there, there are different types of relations that can be had between a coach and their, and, and, and their athletes. The athletes, yeah, and 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 that would also impact obviously on coaches learning and coaches being able to be more um, uh, more creative in what they do. It, you know, there's a way to create sort of that virtuous circle of learning within the coach development, which would be fabulous. But it will also have an impact on how they engage with coach education. Yes. Right now, yeah. there's too many coaches, not all of them. But there's too many coaches engaging in coaching education as a check, check the box reason. I've got to get this badge to be able to get to the next level. Oh, I can't get this job unless I've got that badge. And you're like, whoa, that's that's a that's a that's an an unfortunate model that seems to have emerged in some sports more than others. But it's something that doesn't really help anybody because the coach number one then is engaging in something for all the wrong reasons. But also then the output. From that coach when they engage with athletes, that too then is has been infected by that thinking. You know, I just I had to do that coaching course to be able to do this. And you're like, wow. Well, and it's not to blame them for that. We then need to look at the content of what's in those coaching courses and how are they been delivered so that they are far more um, inspiring and exciting to be involved in and engaging. So the same things that we're going to see from our athletes, basically, we sort of chunk it up to those different bits. So how can our yeah. coach education feel like what they're actually doing? Does it feel, do they recognize those situations and those um, problems? Can they problem solve yeah. something that feels as if it, it matches what's there? Yeah. Great. Listen, Ed, I'm really aware of the time and I could probably just talk to you for the rest <laughs> of the night quite happily. And I'm definitely, definitely going to have to come back and pick up on some of these bits again. 
I'm just no thinking, problem. and those people who maybe have got slightly tidier minds um, would want to wrap back and kind of just one thing that you would say to people to, to um, you know, to try or explore um, in, other than being um, a bit more curious. Yeah, I think um, the one thing that I've been encouraging people to, to try for a while is, is, is their engagement. Their, the, the try to limit how quickly you rush in. Try to, and then when you go, do go in, can you engage through an inquisitive manner, a question, you know? Can we get, can we get coaches, can we get coaches thinking less of providing the answers, but providing better questions? Less of uh, fixing the task, but actually proposing better problems. So I think that's something, if there's anyone, you know, listening in here, and they're, they're going to try one thing. Try and see, can you engage more through questions in your next session than you normally do? That's great. And, and a, lovely, a lovely way to, for any coaches that are thinking, well, if I haven't got the answer, then why is somebody going to employ me? Because, because you get good at setting questions. You get yeah. good at helping them to create um, a learning environment or a, or a problem that, for them to solve that allows them to move on. And that's a skill, Marianne. Um, uh, it's a skill that I probably found more challenging than others. Um, uh, and, I, and it still requires a lot of time and effort on my part. I spend, I spend quite a bit of time in a week when I know there's a session coming up, when I have an idea based on the behaviours, because I know these people well now, of what, to be really clear and concise with the questions that I'm going to ask, you know, to look up terminology, to look up words. Is that a better word? to use there than this one, you know? Is this a word that can excite them? These kind of action verbs and things like that, you know? And Nick Winkleman's book, The Language of Coaching, is he speaks to it around the cues towards movement and stuff. But there's other ways as well, you know? Can I be better with the words I use to actually excite someone towards exploration as opposed to me saying something that I want them to do it in the way I just described? No, no. Can I say it's something that actually hands it over to them for them then to go and explore. And that that's that's a skill that I still have a long way to go on. Um, and I know some people are brilliant at doing that with, with very little work, and that's just the way the world is. But it's something that I, I, spend, a, I spend quite a bit of time on uh, because I, um, yeah, I, I suppose I would have reflected on myself and mentors have been told me sometimes that, you know, Ed, it's, it's not entirely clear. I know what you're trying to say, but it's not coming across as clear as it should be, you know? I... Um... I'll be interested if you recognize this, this. This is what I aspire to do. It's not necessarily what I always manage. And, and, I, and again, I think about it in my writing as well as in my coaching is that I want it to be like a really good detective story for them. <laughs> I, want, I want them there to be enough cues that they don't give up, yeah. <laughs> but that they still have to solve the problem. That, partly because I know I haven't got the answer. So how do I make it like a really engaging detective story? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a great point that we we play cluedo here at home you know uh the classic murder mystery you know and i have an eight-year-old a 12-year-old and then my wife and i so of course that's a, that that game is if, if if it's really great for me and my wife well it's probably maybe a step two steps ahead for my 12-year-old and three st four steps ahead for my eight-year-old and that's where then we will scale it you know he'll have two questions where I might only have one or he'll have four questions where I might only have one. 
because we want them to stay engaged. It can't be the same rules for all of us because I'm 40 years older than one of them. I'm 37, you know what I mean? It can't be the same. And that's where that's where I really like that. And again, you talk about a detective story and Cluedo came to mind because that's what we do. All the games we play in the house, we adapt them so that we can all play them at the level that we're at. There's no point in us all playing, you know, a game of headbands and or, or, or charades. And there's an eight-year-old trying to figure out something in the same amount of time that uh, a 47-year-old male has. No, he gets double the time and he gets to use words, the odd word. You know what I mean? Otherwise, he's not going to engage. Otherwise, he's going to switch off. And I think that's a really nice way of putting it. We want them, we want to create an environment where they stay engaged, but they also then want to explore things that we did not think of. Yeah, that's lovely. So it, it's a detective story, but we let go of the answer. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know, was it the Mr. The Green in the, in the pantry with the candles? Holder. Not a good idea where, where they can look, but where, but not what they're going to see, to quote yeah. Stu, which I think is a lovely way to finish. Yeah. Oh, Ed, thank you so much. Definitely, uh, definitely would love to catch up again and have another chat. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, thank you pleasure. so thank you. much. Not at all. Real pleasure. Thanks, Marianne. And, and yeah, happy to jump on again some other time because I know we went on a few tangents there, but that's that's OK. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.